Ricky Allman the last two di- uh, the last two days. We've had three sessions, and they have been absolutely incredible. And uh, who knew? What God would do, you think that a uh, leadership seminar, and you may hear more about it later, I don't know, maybe I'm stealing uh, somebody's thunder, but uh, who knew at a leadership seminar yesterday uh, morning when you expect that it's just going to be more of a uh, lecture-type seminar that God would decide to move and begin to heal people. But that's what happened yesterday in our leadership seminar yesterday morning, uh, some incredible things happening in people's lives. So God is setting uh, the stage. God is getting ready for uh, something great. We have said it for years and, and we've crossed over uh, several times the threshold into things that God is doing, but God is positioning grace once again uh, on, the, on the precipice of something phenomenal and something glorious, and I am just excited to be a part of it. Praise the Lord. And and uh, part of uh, what God wants to do is help us to understand the Word of God. So uh, that's what we're here this morning for, to help us understand the Word of God a little better. And uh, so I appreciate you being here and appreciate your attention. We are going to begin uh, this morning a, another series. <laughs> now, don't get nervous. I promise I won't go as long on this one as I did on the last one. And uh, this one is going, uh, in my opinion, is, is wonderful, wonderful material. Um, and and uh, it's going to add a lot of value to your life if we'll accept it, if we'll bring it into us and apply it to our lives. We're going to uh, begin a series and we're going to talk about foundation stones foundation stones. Uh, if you would turn to your Bibles or, or on the screen to Joshua 4 and 21 and verse 22, uh, the Bible says, and he spake unto the children of Israel saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come saying, what means these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And then from Ephesians 2 and 20, and the Bible says, And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. And we all understand, uh, at least I hope that we can all understand uh, what, the, what the concept of a foundation is. This building this morning has a foundation. The foundation is that, that one part of a building that supports the rest of it. The foundation has to be strong enough. It has to be constructed in a way that it can support the, the intended load of what's being built on top of it. If you went out and poured, uh, for those that have construction mines, if you went out and poured a one-inch thick concrete slab, then tried to build a house on top of it, you're headed for disaster. So the foundation underneath a structure, the foundation underneath something, has to be strong. 
It has to be able to bear the load. It has to be solid. It can't, it can't be made out of material that, that flexes or wavers too much. It has to be something that is, is true and that it is solid and that it is, it, is, uh, it is set. It cannot be made out of uh, a, a flimsy material. If it is, it's not likely to hold up well. You may get the building built, but it's not likely to hold up well. And so it is with our, uh, with our walk with God. Our foundation has to be something that is solid. And all too often, uh, people will try to build a relationship with God having nothing underneath them. And, uh, and, and I'll refer back to uh, this, the Bible study on Tuesday night that I'm doing at Palmetto Springs. We, we have a goal in mind. Now, I have some people that represent them tonight uh, here this morning. Uh, but I have a goal in mind for them. I have a destination that I'm going to. They don't even know that. And for those that hear that, you can't tell anybody. But there's a destination that we're going. But I have spent months building foundation under them, trying to. Because it is so important that in our relationship with God that we're not built upon something that's flimsy. Jesus talked about it in in his parable about the man that built his house upon the sand and the man that built his house upon the rock. The man that built his house upon the sand, he constructed his house. It was finished. The sand was able to hold up his structure During the good times, when it's beautiful and sunny outside, it did okay. But when tough times came, when the storm came, his house could not stand the storm. And and in that parable, it illustrates what happens when our relationship with God is built upon a foundation that isn't solid. So uh, we're going to begin to talk about foundation stones, stones that we can build our relationship with God on, stones that we can build our faith in God on, stones that we can believe, uh, that we can build our belief in God on because they are solid. They're not going anywhere. These are biblical truths that do not change. If you remodel your house, the one part of your house that you're not likely to ever remodel is your foundation. Because once it is once it is built, it pretty much stays there. Hopefully, you don't have to do any foundation work. There are companies if your foundation cracks that will come out there and take care of that. But hopefully, you don't have to. So, uh, so I want to uh, begin this series and and have you understand that the things that we're going to go over. Are, these, are there biblical truths that you can build your relationship with God on, that you can put your faith in, you can put your confidence in, because they're not going to change? Once you have a foundation, if you remove these things, if you begin to remove the parts of your foundation, eventually the structure that's built on them will crumble. You know, if you could get something and just take your slab out from underneath your house, your house probably wouldn't stand very well. 
That's just the way the foundation works. So we're going to talk about foundation stones, and I'm going to tell you the four foundation stones that we're going to cover in this study, and we might take them. Uh, don't, don't get a preconceived idea yet of what we're going to talk about when I mention them, uh, because we might take them in a little different direction than you think. Uh, there are four foundation stones that we're going to talk about that are mentioned in the Word of God. One of them is oneness. Oneness. Another is salvation, there's stewardship, and there's worship. And we're going to talk about those four foundation stones over the course of the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm going to encourage you to be here uh, to hear the Word of God. Uh, The first one we're going to talk about is oneness. Is oneness. And as soon as I said that, I know, I already know that most of you in your mind immediately went to one thing. When I said oneness, you immediately went to one thing. Just about everybody in here. Am I, am, am I wrong? He was thinking of the oneness of God. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. The, body, the Bible says there is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Does everybody see that? So there are six facets of oneness. In that scripture reading, the Bible says and tells us that there are six facets of oneness. And we're going to go over those six facets of oneness. First of all, the Bible says there's one body. There is one body. Uh, In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. That is an incredible scripture setting. Because God hates these things. In fact, they're an abomination. Does everybody remember what an abomination is? It's an eternal hatred. God doesn't get over the fact that he doesn't like these things. God doesn't change his mind on the fact that he hates these things. This, what the Bible is saying is that God not only hates these things, he will hate them for eternity. He's not going to change his opinion. So when the Bible says that God hates a proud look, It doesn't matter the dispensation you're in. God doesn't like it. He hates it. God hates a lying tongue. If you're a liar, God hates the lying, not necessarily you. He hates people that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked imaginations and feet that are swift to running to mischief. He hates a false witness that speaketh lies And he hates those that soweth discord 
among the brethren. The word discord means a lack of agreement or harmony. It means disunity, dissension, conflict, opposition, quarreling, and antagonism. And God hates sowing discord among brethren, among the brethren. God hates that. And so discord is disunity. It's the lack of agreement or harmony. In John 17, verse 21, the Bible says that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. This is one of Jesus' final prayer requests. And, and we can answer this prayer request because Jesus is saying that he's asking that we, the people of God, could be one, that we could be unified, that we could live in a spirit of unity. So when the Bible says there is one body, what the, what the Bible is saying is there is a church. It's not made up of one person, but it is made up of a group of people that forms one body. And Jesus is praying one of the final prayers that he prays on this earth is that we could unify, that we could become one as Christ and God were one. That in the same spirit that they are unified in the same spirit that God was manifest in the flesh as Jesus Christ, uh, as the same as they were unified and they were one, Jesus is wanting the church to become one. He's wanting the church to unify. He's wanting the church to, to, to get the same purpose, to get the same desires, to get the same uh, drive, the same motivation, the same passion. He is asking the church and he is praying that we could become one that we can unify. It is oneness of the body. The Bible records in Genesis 11 and 16, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they shall have, and they have all one language, and this began, they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. God is admitting God is saying in the story of the Tower of Babel that if people will unify, if people will get the same mindset, if people will get the same purpose, if people will get the, the same desire, if we'll get the same passion to build, if we'll get the same passion to, to create, uh, if we'll get the same desire to make something happen, if we'll unify and do that and become as one, then nothing that we imagine to do will be impossible. It's the power of unity. It's the power of becoming one body. It's made up of individuals, and we'll cover that in just a moment. It is made up of individuals, but it's one body. And so the, so the Bible in Ephesians is saying there's one body. We are the body that, that the Bible's talking about. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and the Bible tells us that. And, and so the, the body is made up, and, and we all here today, fortunately, we all have bodies. You have a body. Whether you like it or not, you have one. I have more of one than I necessarily want. I'd like to lose some of my body. Not members of it, but the mass of it. 
and you understand. It is such a, a, in a lot of ways, such a simple and almost elementary concept. But it's yet so profound and so misunderstood. You realize that your body is made up of different parts. Isn't that crazy? Did you know if all you had was eyeballs, you wouldn't function very well? If you had no fingers, no toes, no arms, no legs, no ears, a nose, a mouth, hair, ears, whatever else, I think I already said that. If all you had was eyeballs, you wouldn't function very well. We are made up of different parts, and each one of our parts has a different function. I have ten fingers, and I'm thankful for that. But they don't function the same way that my eyes function. And neither do they function the same ways that my toes function or my ears. And you understand the concept. So it is with the church. Now, all of my body parts are, even though they're numerous, I think there was one soap commercial, I think it was Lever 2000, that used to say that they could wash all 2,000 of your parts. They used to have it on a commercial, you know, for all 2,000 of your, part, your body parts, you could use this soap. So I don't know if that's actually true. We have any brilliant people in here that knows how many body parts you have? But we realize that all of our parts are joined together to form just me. You understand that? All of your parts are formed together to build you. If for some, for some reason I had a finger that was cut off, that finger would not be Merrill Murphy. That would be my finger, but it wouldn't be me. I am made up of my parts. So the Bible is telling us that the church is made up of parts or stones. We're not bricks. The church is not made up of bricks. Bricks are uniform in shape and size. But that's not what God chose to make the church out of. I'm going to show you this in just a minute. God chose to make the church up of stones. Stones don't have a uniform shape. Stones don't have a uniform size. All stones are not exactly the same. They didn't come out of a mold. So the church is made up of a group of people that are not the same. Isn't that crazy? That is a wild concept. Did you know that your neighbor sitting beside you is not exactly like you? I'm being a little bit facetious, but it's true. It's true. And because we're not all the same, and because we're not all cookie cutters, church doesn't get boring, first of all. It's true. 
So there's going to be in the church functions that you have that your neighbor doesn't. There's going to be in the church things that you enjoy to do for the church that somebody else doesn't. But it takes all of us to build the church. All of us are part of the body. All of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your financial bracket, regardless of your health conditions, regardless of your mind conditions, regardless of your past, all of us, everybody, whosoever will, makes up the body of the church. And we're made out, we are stones in the building. 1 Peter 2 and 5, the Bible says, Ye also as lively stones, or stones that are alive, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're lively stones. We're not all going to be exactly alike, but we all make up one body. We're not the same shape but we are joined together by a master craftsman. In church, there's no big I's and little U's. We all stand on the same equal ground with God. God doesn't respect persons. God doesn't respect uh, position. God doesn't respect uh, wealth. Those things don't impress God. What impresses God is men and women willing to serve Him, willing to sacrifice, willing to reach into other people's lives, willing to minister to people. That's what impresses God. And so all of us, all of us stand on equal ground with God. You have just as much authority you have just as much uh, weight with God when you pray for somebody to be healed as when I pray for somebody to be healed or as when Brother Murphy prays for somebody to be healed. Did you know that? If you have the Holy Ghost, if you are living for God, you have the power of God in you, you can pray for people. And I've heard people say, so-and-so is so sick, and if I could just get them to come to church, oh, Brother Merrill, would you please pray that they would come to church so they could be healed? Why do you have to come to church to be healed? If God is everywhere, then as a part of the body, you can go out to where they're at at home, lay your hands on them, pray in the name of Jesus, and they can be healed. You're an extension of the body. You're the hand that's reaching out at that moment of the body of Christ. You don't have to have the whole church pray for them. My hand is just a part of my body. And so if you are reaching into somebody's life, you will become the hand. And you're an extension of all of us. You become an extension of all of us. Jesus, in, this, in the scripture setting that I read in John, is praying for unity. Praying for unity. Oh, that the church, that the body of Christ would unify and become that one body 
that Jesus was praying for, to become one. He says, oh, he said that they may be one, that they would be together, to be unified. And I don't want to get into an area that's not my, my, my place, but uh, if we could uh, get rid of our uh, feelings about one another that are negative. Let me just say it that way. That was kind of nice, wasn't it? A little bit easier. Wasn't too mean. And begin to love, truly love one another and truly unify. I said this a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's been actually several months ago now. And uh, <laughs> it was not received well at Bible study where I presented it. And I believe this. I believe that every one of us, if, you're, uh, if you claim to be a member of the body of Christ, then you should at least have the ability to sit down and have a meal with or a cup of, a cup of coffee with every person in the church. You should not have a, a, a hatred or a dislike for somebody so much that you can't at least have a meal with them and be civil. Okay? I'm not talking about have a meal with them when you're chunking french fries at them. I'm talking about being civil. Have a conversation with them. You should have the ability to do that with everybody in the church. It's a tall order. I asked Tuesday night Bible study. I said, find somebody that you really don't like. And invite them over to your apartment and fix them a meal. It wasn't, to, it wasn't to help the person they don't like. It's to make you grow. You, you understand the concept. It makes you grow a little bit more. <laughs> Nobody did it. In fact, I asked them two or three times. Still, I don't think, maybe one person came up and said they tried and they, the other person wouldn't accept the offer or whatever. But, but, and you say, well, have you done it? Yes, I have. I have. And it is tough. I'm going to tell you what. When there's somebody there, you're across the, and especially when you do it and it's a one-on-one, that's hard. Because everything they say is directed straight to you. And uh, helps us grow. So in the body, in the body, my, my fingers, and I'll use our physical, but my fingers don't have the right to rebel against my eyeball. If my fingers decided I hate, my, your, I hate the eyes, so I'm just going to poke them out, well, then it hurts the body. Well, then I can't see, so I trip and fall and hit my hand on a brick and break my fingers. So what really happened? You understand? It's, and, and I know that's a ridiculous illustration, but, uh, but it sometimes plays out so we can't hurt one another. We are a part of one body, one body. So we're here to edify everybody in the body, to lift them up in God. Praise the Lord. And then the Bible says there is one spirit, one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jesus or uh, Jews or Gentiles, 
whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So there is one body, but there is also one spirit. Ephesians 2 and 18, the Bible says, For through him we both, uh, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So, so the, the Bible is clear in saying that there is only one spirit. And it is God's spirit. It is God's spirit. In church, there's different styles. We like different kinds of music. We like different kinds of preaching. It's unfortunate, but it's true. There's a person I, wrote, I know right now that there is a there's a group of preachers, and they've told me who they are, that they love. Man, if one of those guys came to a church in Baton Rouge, it didn't matter what church it was. They was going to hear them. It didn't matter if they had to take off a vacation day of work, send the wife and kids out of state. They don't care. They're going to hear that preacher. But there's other preachers that they don't want to listen to at all and will get up and walk out of church when they, when they show up. There's different styles. We all have that. We all have different tastes and different preferences in the body. But there's still one spirit. And as long as what is happening is anointed, as long as it is uh, uh, about the spirit of God, as long as it is of the spirit of God, then we should be okay. It may not be our style. But it's God's spirit. And we have to be careful that we don't try to impose our human spirit in the church. I'm not, there was, I have an illustration, but I'm not going to use it. There's things that happen that personally I don't like. I know that's hard to believe. But because it is the Spirit of God, we, we uh, Brother Billy and Sister Michelle and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and there was something that, uh, that took place and, um, that was a uh, God thing. And one of them, I'll, I'm going to use them, I'm going to pick on them. One of them liked it. I won't tell you which one, but she really liked it. The other one didn't care for it too much. I won't tell you which one that was, but he did not like it. And so we sat down and we talked about it for a while. Hope I didn't embarrass y'all. We sat down and talked about it for a while and had an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. And um, there are sometimes things we don't care for. It's a style, it's a method, it's a way, but if it reach, if it is under the Spirit of God, and it reaches somebody, and somebody engages a life for God because of it, we have to be careful that we don't impose our spirit. Because our spirits are generally that humanistic spirit. We don't impose that on the church. The church is not about 
us. Revelation, ain't it? It's about him. And what he wants uh, should be our motivation. It should be our drive and become what we want. Not what we want, become what he wants. Okay, I'm done off my soapbox. You say thank you. Um, but God's spirit is the most powerful force in the, in the universe. There's nothing that can outdo God. Being that the universe is his throne and the earth is his footstool, obviously we cannot, we cannot overpower God. But the only thing, there's one thing that limits God. There's one thing that causes God to, to have to draw back. There's one thing that can stop God. Do you know what that is? Man and our will. It's not that God doesn't possess the power to overpower us. God has the ability to do whatever he wants. And if he wants us to do something, he can force us to do it. But he puts a parameter around him that says, I will not force them. And so when God wants to do something, if we're not willing, then God can't do it. And that's where uh, all the, the old sayings is, you know, if you don't do it, then God will find somebody else that will. And it's true. God will, his will is going to get done. His purpose will get accomplished. It's just up to us to, to engage his spirit and to be sensitive to him because I want to be a part of it. There will be a revival. The Bible, the Bible very uh, emphatically, and one of the, the many references is in the book of Joel, where God is going to pour out his spirit in the last day upon all flesh. That's going to happen. I just want to be a part of it. So I don't want my spirit to interfere with his spirit because there's only one that counts, and it is God's spirit. In Psalm 78, 61, incredible scripture. It's talking about God, and, and he delivered his strength. Talking about God into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. God delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. You think about it uh, this way. When a father is, is wrestling with his child, uh, the, the dad has to restrain his strength. Most of you parents, uh, even mothers maybe, uh, have wrestled with, tussled with your kids or gotten ready to discipline them. When I was a kid, my mom used to spank us. Every now and then, wasn't often. She was a good mother. As we got older, those spankings didn't hurt. You ever, anybody, I know somebody else has had to have gone through that. Where those spankings just don't hurt anymore. They're not having the impact that they need to have. So mom changed from a belt to a broom. If you don't know it, there is a difference between a belt and a broom handle. the discipline started having impact again. 
but you have to you have to restrain yourself when i uh, when i tussle with josh and micah you know obviously if i was to uh, exert all of my strength i i would seriously hurt them i mean they're 7 and 4 and so it is with god when god uh when god is moving with us he has to reserve his strength but then then in that in that instance my strength has become a weakness and and my kids can impose their will I, I let them win all the time and so they they impose their will upon me although i have the ability to overpower them but i choose not to when i when micah now micah loves to wrestle he loves to wrestle he's 4 i can i can pick him up and hold him upside down the reason i don't is cuz he wants to do it over and over and over and over and over Eventually, you get wore out. I'm getting old. I don't have the strength I used to have. He's getting big, if you haven't noticed. So my strength becomes a weakness, and when I let him wrestle me over and he wins, he jumps up and down, you know, and shaking his hands, I won, I won, I won. And he imposes his will upon me simply because I restrain myself. And that's how God works with us. He's put a parameter up that says, I'm not going to overpower them. In fact, he holds back enough that oftentimes we, we put our own will before him. We overpower him. And it's not that God doesn't have it. He is the most powerful force in the universe, and he has delivered it uh, upon, uh, he is, he's delivered his strength into a captivity. He set up a parameter, and, and that's just, I thank God for it. There's no way uh, that we could survive if God wasn't like that. But the world will believe in him if they can believe in us. If they can see the strength of God in us, then they will believe in us. Uh, Disunity, going back to the unity. Disunity, not being a part of that Bible, constantly fighting, cost us our credibility. The world already has disunity. The world already has conflict. And the the reason that so many people are lost is not because of of Satan's power as, as greater than God's, it's not because that God doesn't care, but is we sometimes as the church expend our energy and expend our, put our will and our purpose before the purpose of God. And God restrains himself. We have a hard time where it's impossible to pray, thy kingdom come, until we can pray, my kingdom go. The kingdoms cannot coexist. As as in the spirit of God is a spirit of servanthood. It's the true spirit of Christianity. And it's the magnet that attracts people. When Jesus became a servant at the Last Supper, what an awesome depiction of the spirit of God. That even though this man is sitting here that is betraying me, I'm still willing to serve him. 
I'm still willing to humble myself. You're talking about Jesus was willing to humble himself. Jesus was willing to, uh, to, to show us the spirit that we should have. And so when we engage the spirit of God, that one spirit, we become servants to the body. And we become servants to those around us. It doesn't mean that you're beat down. It doesn't mean that you're, uh, you're not who you are. Again, we're one body, but we're individuals. But you become a servant to them. You're there to benefit. You're there to help. You're there to reach. You're there to touch them. It's the Spirit of God, and there's only one Spirit. It's, this, it's, it's Jesus giving us the Great Commission, go into the world. Preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be healed. You can preach that. You can tell people when they come to you sick and say, I'm, I'm hurting, I have a chest pain or a back pain or something, then you can tell them about Jesus. And you can tell them about the stripes. Or, you, or even if you don't even want to get it, just tell them, you know what, let me pray for you. It's reaching them. It's the Spirit that God has given us, and it's the one spirit uh, that counts is God's spirit. And we become a servant to God. We become, uh, we become a, uh, a, a, a tool or a vessel that God can use to reach people, and it attracts people when you can help them, when you can touch them and minister to them. Don't underestimate don't underestimate the power of touching somebody. And I don't mean physically. But I mean don't underestimate when that person at work or your neighbor is going through a tough time, you spending a few moments of your time with them and reach for them. I've had people in just the last couple of weeks come up and testify and tell me. Somebody just last night told me, that there was something going on. They didn't even have the time to invest in this person. But, but, but in, rather than leaving, they went ahead and sacrificed something they wanted to do to help this person. They spent a little bit of money they didn't have to eat a meal with this person. And when they left, this person sent them a text message. I wish they'd have said it to their face. It has a lot more impact. But said, thank you. You don't know what that did for my family and I, that you spent some time and talked to us. And now we have a clearer picture. Now we have a better understanding of what we need to do and where we need to go and what, what our purpose is. It's touching people. It's the Spirit of God using us. Praise the Lord. I'm out of time, and they've opened the door. Thank you for your attention today. We'll, catch, uh, we'll start uh, this back up next Sunday. And we'll talk more about oneness. There's one body and one spirit. Bless, bless the Lord. Uh, you're dismissed. Hang around for a few minutes.